Welcome to the Take Two podcast, where we discuss highly debated biblical topics. We ask questions you may be afraid to ask. Please keep your seatbelts fastened as we may be expecting some turbulence, because today we are tackling the topic of Bible translations. What happens when you mix a sharp teenager with a Bible professor who happens to be her mom? You get the Take Two podcast with Emma and Carmen Imes. Special thanks to Prairie College for sponsoring this episode and to you for joining us. There are a lot of different Bible translations. True. Like, a lot. Yes. And there are a lot of different opinions on which ones should be used, mm -hmm. um, some stronger than others. Yes. So, but like starting at the beginning, why are there even different Bible versions and translations? Yeah, you would think all we would need is just one Bible in English. Why would we need so many? So we should start with the basics. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, mm -hmm. mostly Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Greek, and they were written a couple thousand years ago yeah. and more. So the first thing to know is that when you're dealing with two different languages, there's not, an, there's not one word that's exactly the same in both languages, right? So like we don't have an English word for love that exactly captures the whole range of meaning for the, way, for the word love in Greek or the word love in Hebrew. And so if you've ever tried to learn another language, you know that there can be multiple ways of getting at the same idea. Mm -hmm. yeah. <clears throat> so one reason we have so many translations is that different English speakers have learned Greek and Hebrew and read read what the scriptures say, and they've, they've thought of different ways of expressing those ideas in English. Yes, I have had those battles with Duolingo many okay, times. Yes, <laughs> right. So there are, there's also the fact that languages change over time. So Hebrew is not the same all the way through the Old Testament. There's different patterns in the way the language works. There's different vocabulary that comes in and out of use. And same with English. There are words in English today that were not words even a few years ago. So I had a student say to me the other day that somebody ghosted him. And I had to stop and say, can you just define that for me? Because I've heard people say ghosted, but I actually don't know what you mean by that. Like, because when I was a kid, we, weren't, we didn't say ghosted, yeah. right? And every now and then when my son, your brother says, oh, that's sick, I have to catch myself because <gasps> when I was a kid, that was a, a negative thing. And now apparently it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I had a run in with the word, like the phrase being left on red with dad the other day. What does that mean? Oh, there we go. <laughs> so basically, most of you probably know what this is and probably like laughing your heads off. Um, when you're left on red, that means like you can tell somebody's seen your message, but they don't answer. Oh, left unread. No, left on, on red. red. Oh, okay. There could be different no, So uses. they read it, but they didn't reply. Yeah. Okay, so this is a great example of how language changes even in just 10 or 20 years. Yes. So that what makes sense to my generation doesn't make sense to yours, or what makes sense to yours doesn't make sense to me. Right. We'll look at some examples of that in the second part that are kind of amusing. Um, but these changes to the English language over time mean that we have to actually keep going back to our English translations and asking ourselves, does this still communicate what we need it to communicate from the original Greek and Hebrew? Or is it now gonna lead people in the wrong direction? Is it gonna give them the wrong impression because English has changed and that doesn't mean what it used to mean? 
So from my perspective, and a lot of people will disagree with me on this, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how you say something as long as it gets across the right message. So yes, this brings up a really good point. And another reason why there are so many different English translations is because people have different ideas about how translations should even be done. So if you can imagine an invisible line, a spectrum going from word for word translations on the one hand to thought for thought translations on the other hand, a word for word translation is going to try to use the same English word every time a certain Hebrew word is used. Now this is tricky because a Hebrew word may have a range of meaning that's larger or smaller than our English word. Yeah. But, but these translators feel like they want English readers to see the Hebrew really transparently. Yeah. But then it's almost like out of context in some cases. In some, in some cases, you can miss the nuance of a word because it's locking you into an English word that yeah. doesn't accurately bring across the Hebrew. So on the other end of the spectrum are thought-for-thought -thought translations where translators are trying to get across the ideas, but they'll use m more words or fewer words. They'll rearrange the sentence to make the best sense in English. Yeah, and in our time period... Right. Yeah. So, so there are English Bibles that fall all along that spectrum. I've brought a few examples that we can look at today. So if we think about this spectrum, on this end of the spectrum, on the word-for-word -word side would be the New American Standard Bible, the King James, the ESV, and then more towards the middle of the spectrum would be the New Revised Standard Version, the NIV, and then over towards the thought-for-thought -thought would be the New Living Translation or the the uh, contemporary English version or the message all the way on the other side. And actually the message isn't technically a translation, it's a paraphrase. Yeah. Um, but that kind of gives you an idea of the range. So I brought three Bibles with me today that fall along the spectrum that are pretty popular today. So the ESV, the NIV, and the NLT. And I thought that we would look at a passage together and read it for our viewers so that they can kind of get a sense for how one verse might sound differently. Each of them are working from the same Greek manuscripts, but they're rendering it in English in a different way. So why don't you go ahead and read for us from the ESV, and we're reading Matthew 16, 24. Okay, so the ESV says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay, so here it is, same verse in the NIV. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Okay. And then you can read to us from the NLT or New Living Translation. Okay, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. So you could hear this sort of shift from, from more stilted English on the one hand, um, whoever would be my disciple, let mm -hmm. him, all the way to whoever wants to follow me, here's what to do. Yeah. Um, so this sounds, this sounds like the, more like the way people would talk today. Yeah. And the, uh, the ESV sounds more like the King James. Yeah. Instead of denying yourself, you are... Um, turning from your selfish ways. Right, which is maybe an important distinction to make in our culture because denying yourself might sound like you're, you're like self-hating or something, right. right? And so in our culture, as we think 
um, as we have a different sensibility about mental health, it's important to say, what are we denying? We're turning from our selfishness, mm -hmm. which would have been implied in the Greek context, but maybe didn't need to be said that way yeah. 100 years ago. Okay, so when we come back, we're going to be talking about why people think like some translations are better than others. Mm -hmm. Got a lot of ground to cover. We do. So we'll see you in a few. And now a word from our sponsor, Prairie College. The Masters of Leadership in Global Christian Education is designed for educators who wish to expand their leadership abilities. The program offers the integration of global, biblical, and technological strategies to incorporate into your curriculum. This degree will equip you to lead and teach from a global Christian perspective, integrate biblical principles and teachings in the classroom, and leverage instructional technology to empower learners to further the kingdom of God. Building on Prairie's 100-year history as a leader in biblical education, the program will equip you with advanced biblical literacy to apply to your educational context. After you complete the degree, you'll qualify for ACSI's Principal Certification. Start your application to join the 2022 cohort of learners and join a class of emerging education leaders from all over the world. Learn more at prairie.edu slash masters. Looking forward to seeing you in class. Okay, welcome back. So we've talked about um, why there are different Bible translations. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to dig in and talk about why some people think one translation like ranks above another mm -hmm. and all of that juicy stuff. Yes, this is juicy and it is highly controversial. Just this weekend, I had somebody tag me on Facebook about a question uh, regarding modern English translations. And there is a lot of misinformation swirling out there about, particularly about the King James and versus other modern English mm -hmm. translations. And so make sure you check your sources. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we'll have some resources for you to help with that as well. I think a funny place to start is just with the origin of the King James Version. So the King yeah. James Bible was translated in 1611, okay. which is a long time ago, right? Yes. So we're over 400 years later now. And ironically, when it was translated, it was not the first English translation. It was not particularly well-liked or widely used for the first 50 years. It was not praised for its literary quality for about 150 years. And it was very controversial when it was released because people were upset that the Bible had been translated into the common language of the people. Mm. They thought that the Bible should be in elevated prose. Some people still wanted to be reading it in uh, Latin rather than in English. And so when it was first released, there were a lot of haters and a lot of people who said, we should be going back to Latin, not reading the Bible in English. So it's quite ironic now that so many people out there still say we should be only reading the King James because they see it as elevated English prose and they don't want the Bible put in the common English language that people actually speak. But that is in fact the whole reason that the King James was translated yeah. in the first place was to make it accessible and understandable to common people. Yeah, that is really interesting. It is. 
There are some other things about the King James that I think are helpful to know. Um, I'm, I'm not a hater of the King James. I think it's been a wonderful translation. It's, it's given a lot to the English language. There's a lot of expressions that we use that come from it. Um, and it, and it's a solid translation. If that's the translation you or your parents or grandparents prefer, I don't see a problem with that. But there are some things you should know about it, and that is it's, it's actually not based on the best Greek manuscripts. So you would think that going back in time, 400 years, we'd be getting closer to the Bible as it was originally written. But the fact is that a lot of manuscripts have been discovered since then. Like ancient libraries yeah. have been unearthed. We actually have older and better copies of the New Testament and the Old Testament now than we did when the King James was translated. And so our more modern English translations like the NIV are actually based on better manuscripts. So to use a newer one actually takes you back further in the manuscript history. Yeah, we know a lot more now than we did. That's another aspect of it. It's not just that we have better copies, but we also have learned so much about ancient culture by archeology span and the discovery of other ancient texts. Okay, so my biggest question to those who want to go like back to the oldest to get as close to the Hebrew Bible mm -hmm. as possible, why not learn Hebrew and read the manuscripts? That is a great idea, and I do encourage people to learn Hebrew and Greek, um, but it's probably not practical for everybody. Not everyone is gifted in learning ancient languages, um, but if languages are your thing, I would say go for it. Yeah. Um, I brought a couple of examples of places where the King James would actually be misleading or not understandable to people today. And my, my aim in showing you these passages is not to diss the King James and say it's bad. It was a really good translation in its day, mm -hmm. but because the English language has changed, there are things, there are places where it's just not as helpful as it needs to be. All right, so let's look at those examples. All right, so I looked these up online. If you, you can Google the King James Version 1611 edition, and you can look up any verse in the original King James. Um, and so here's one example from Acts 8.23. The King James says, For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Wow, like, you know, like a gallbladder? I guess. A bitterness? I guess. So this is actually resting on ancient ideas about how the human body worked and um, gall was part of that. But yeah, I'm not an expert in that area and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So in the NIV it says, I see that you are full of bitterness and a captive to sin. So wow. gall of bitterness, full of bitterness, makes more sense. Yeah. And in the bond of iniquity, um, it's a little harder to grab. We're not watching Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> but, but Captive to Sin makes a little more sense. So that's an example of where it's just puzzling to us. If we got out the right dictionary, we might be able to figure it out. Mm -hmm. But there are other places where it's actually problematic for other reasons. So here's an example from 1 Kings 2.10. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Now that sounds utterly scandalous in modern English, right? To sleep with someone, well, that's a euphemism for something else. Yes. So, so what does that actually mean? If you look at 1 Kings 2.10 in the NIV, okay, 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 10, 
Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. Basically, it's telling us he died. Yeah. Yeah. So David died. Sleeping with his fathers is the way they talk about death because they imagine everyone and everyone is buried maybe in the same family tomb. So you bury all the kings in the same family tomb. So now he's sleeping with his fathers. Yes. But if you're reading that in junior high, get ready for some giggles. Oh yeah, there you go. Right, so one thing that's interesting, I found interesting as I compared that to the ESV, which is based on a, a later edition of the King James, and it retains both of those expressions. So you would get gall of bitterness, uh, bond of iniquity, and slept with his fathers all in the ESV. Yeah. So there are a lot of people out there now who are saying, this is great because it's word for word and it's more accurate, but in my view, it's sacrificing accuracy for understanding. Yeah. All right, so what else do you have for us? Well, one thing that I think you can watch for if you're trying to decide what translation would be a good one for you to read, here are the things that I watch for. I like to see a translation that's been done by a committee, not by a single person. So if you have one person doing it, then their perspective is shaping everything. Yes. If they've got blind spots or things they just don't know, um, that's going to affect the translation. If you have a whole committee working on it, then you've got more, more brains um, and more life experiences brought into the project. But I would say also look at who's on the committee. And you can do this for any translation. Usually, actually, in the first initial pages, it will list the, the names of the people who were involved. And what I watch for is ethnic diversity, gender diversity, age diversity, and denominational diversity. If all of the translators are coming from the same denomination, and they're all white men in their 60s and 70s, then they're going to be bringing a very strong certain perspective, and they might miss out on other nuances in the text. Mm -hmm. I think there needs to be women on the committee, and I think we need to have people who live in other cultures yeah. on the committee who are English speakers who can help us really see um, what some expressions, how some expressions in English won't work in their culture right. yes. where English is spoken, or they can help us understand cultural things that we might miss. So I watch for a committee. I also watch for a committee that continues to work on revision. Mm -hmm. Because the English language changes over time, I think every translation committee should be meeting on a regular basis to, to revisit the text and to say, okay, what used to make sense that doesn't make sense anymore? And that's why, for example, with the NIV, you have a committee that meets every summer they, they go away together for a couple of weeks and they work through passages that have been submitted to them as misleading or problematic in some way. And they, they hash it out together and they study it and, and improve it. So they don't change the Bible every year, but they collect the changes. And as soon as there are enough changes to warrant a new edition, then they'll release a new one. So there was one in 1984 that I grew up reading. This one came out in 2011. Mm -hmm. They had collected enough changes. The other thing to watch for is the slant of the publisher that publishes the Bible. So every Bible is, is put out by a particular publisher who has a copyright to that. I find it interesting to go and look through the catalog. What other books are they publishing? Do they... Yeah. Do they serve the broader church or are they a denominational niche? And you'll find many English translations today that seem to be serving one small segment of the church, but they don't have in mind a Bible that can be used well across the spectrum. So for me personally, 
My favorite um, all-purpose Bibles are the NIV and the New Living Translation. Um, but if if I'm doing a study and I want to compare with others with a more word-for-word -word translation, I'll pull out the New Revised Standard Version or the New American Standard Bible. Those are, those are all good, solid translations to use. Yeah, so that's already getting into the resources that yes. our audience can use. Are there any more you have for us today? Yeah, great question. So I have brought a couple of books that are written about Bible translations and how they work. So if you're curious to dig into this issue more, want to see more examples, um, these are both good ones. David Dewey, A User's Guide to Bible Translations, or Dave Brunn, One Bible, Many Versions. Um, both of them have lots of diagrams, lots of helpful examples that help you see how different translations work. You can also go onto any Bible translations website. They all have a dedicated website that will tell you their philosophy of translation. Some of them um, actually publish extra booklets. So here's one by Douglas Moo, who's the president of the NIV Translation Committee, talking about the challenge of Bible translation. Um, and we'll put a link for you in the description to a series of blog posts that I wrote that help people who have been online and they've heard nasty things about the NIV, and I've addressed those from a scholarly point of view. Yeah, that's great. We'll also be sure to link ways you can follow us on social media platforms and contact us. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Take Two Podcast.